Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes coming to you live from Panama City in Panama for our 84th video cast, 74th podcast for the week ending Thursday, May 27, 2021. Uh, we're going to try to keep this one a little abbreviated. We got tremendously great feedback from last week's uh, video cast podcast which actually ran an hour and 20 minutes but uh, tremendous amount of positive feedback so I'm glad you found that helpful but this time we're going to do it a little shorter because I think most people's minds are on vacation for the first time in a year there were all kinds of articles out today about top 10 uh, beaches in the United States and that's a good thing cases are down 91 percent so uh, so that's great news so uh, you know, Panama, we came down here. This was uh, about as close to an international vacation as you could get right now. So we figured, why not? We didn't want to go to the Caribbean. And we've been to Florida like five times, four or five times over COVID. Uh, so this was the best we could get. Check it off the list. First time. Great experience. We a uh, couple quick photos here. Uh, this was a trip to see the monkeys on the Panama Canal and in the rainforest. Uh, so you can see uh, my daughters, my wife is a little cut off here. Uh, they come right into the boat. Uh, here we go, all four of them. And here's this little guy taking the peanuts from uh, Annabelle and from me. And uh, and was really a fun time. This is at the marina. And then we had, uh, and this is the city back here, which is pretty cool. And we've got a view from one of these towers. We're on the 26th floor here at the Hilton. So it worked out great as a uh, TV, a makeshift TV studio as well. Uh, we had the pleasure of, so, uh, so certainly a great experience. Check it off the list. Will we be back? I'm not sure, but it was nice to see it once. Um, Anyway, want to move down to our first start with our media spots uh, with Liz Clayman. We were on Tuesday, Fox Business, the Clayman Countdown. Thanks to Liz and Ellie Terrett for having me on. And her question was great. She There was an upgrade on um, uh, Shake Shack, uh, which, by the way, is opening in Bryant Park. We have a place there, which is pretty exciting. So that'll be across the street. And she was asking, you know, with the with the level of vaccinations where they are, you know, these restaurant stocks are getting upgraded, et cetera. And my response was, you know, the market is a discounting mechanism. So the, the restaurant groups as a whole have had a huge run in anticipation of where we are. Uh, with the vaccines. Now, Shake Shack has had a recent minor pullback. Uh, other high-quality franchises like Texas Roadhouse, which has a great primary, by the way, uh, uh, has had a recent pullback. So they could push higher, but by and large, that group has priced in a lot of good news. So she asked, where would we be looking uh, for reopening plays? And what I said was I wanted to focus on three stocks where the good news was not yet fully priced in, where you could still have huge upside. And the first name I gave was Boeing. Uh, Boeing is still down, well, uh, as of Tuesday, it was still down 45% uh, from its pre-pandemic high. There's, uh, the, the thesis is obviously a huge second half commercial aviation recovery. We've had a few days of uh, greater than 1.85 million TSA pass-throughs. Uh, and you've got a duopoly between uh, Airbus and Boeing as that demand comes back. Um, 
The other interesting thing is that um, Boeing's going to have to take up their numbers because industry sources are were quoted saying that uh, Boeing internally has plans to deliver 41 737 maxes per month by the fall of 2022. Right now, their public guidance is uh, 31 a month uh, by spring of next year. So that's a big difference. They're going to have to take up numbers dramatically in the second half, and the stock is going to start to reflect that. So that was the first one that was down 45% from pre-pandemic highs. The second one was Nor Norwegian Cruise Lines. Uh, they're still down 50% from their pre-pandemic highs, maybe a, a bit less on both counts uh, over the last few days. They've jumped quite a bit but uh, still have a lot to go. Their 2022 bookings are extremely strong. They start cruising in the U.S. in August, August 7th, from Seattle to Alaska uh, to fully vaccinated customers. So that's great. And then the third group, I think, is a, a wholesale call on Big Pharma and some parts of Big Biotech, which we spent a lot of time on last week. Um, and they all uh, have lagged the general S&P 500 since, the, uh, since last year because doctor's visits have been down. And a lot of this medicine is administered in person, number one, and the stuff that's not usually you see your doctor to get the script in person before you get the script. So, uh, you know, all different types of companies will benefit from the, the renewal of doctor visits. Uh, certainly elective surgeries are up, so like the Beckton Dickinsons of the world will, will start to benefit. But uh, the one we picked for the show was Novartis, which we've liked a lot. It had a bounce off that February, uh, late February, early March article, uh, ran up for a few weeks. It's been going sideways for a few weeks. I think that's got another leg up, and that's going to benefit from the in-person doctor visits, the pent-up demand. They have a huge oncology portfolio. And uh, they've got Entresto, the heart failure drug. It's up 45% year on year. And Cosentix, the plaque and psoriasis, uh, plaque, uh, plaque psoriasis and arthritis drug. Uh, those are growing like gangbusters. So those are the three names that we feel will benefit from the reopening, but uh, have not fully discounted the upside that I believe is embedded over the next uh, 6, 9, 12 months. Uh, so that was with Liz again. Thanks to Liz and Ellie Terrett for having me on Fox Business. Uh, on Tuesday night, we had um, uh, CGTN America with Elaine Reyes. Thanks to Elaine and Stephanie Savage for having me on for that. And that was really great because we've been spending a lot of time on Chinese the last couple of weeks, Chinese stocks the last couple of weeks. They wanted to talk about live streaming, which is a component of these big platforms. Uh, and I started off with Elaine saying that, you know, Chinese stocks have been under tremendous pressure for the last couple of months prior to our, our May 13th article for three reasons. First off was the Archegos um, forced liquidation, Bill Wang's family office. Uh, if you recall, he had, you know, $100 billion or so of exposure through total return swaps only about 30 billion of equity when when uh, viacom did that secondary offering the stop dropped it caused a daisy chain event then the prime broker started to ask how much exposure do you have how much exposure do you have they all raced to the exits at the same time and uh you know a, a, a 30 billion dollar fortune was devastated overnight uh he'll be back but uh that that's quite a blow and you know the moral of the story is you never want to take on that type of leverage um regardless uh, of the circumstances so uh that put pressure on baidu vip shops gsx and a number of chinese stocks that he was exposed to 
some from Q1, some from Q2. Uh, the second reason Chinese stocks have, have gotten monkey hammered, <laughs> for lack of a better word, uh, mind on monkeys since I've been here in Panama, but uh, is the Chinese government regulatory crackdown. Uh, they had me on on Tuesday because there was a new rule going into effect for live streamers, which we'll talk about in a second. The $2.8 billion fine for Alibaba anti-monopoly anti practices and uh, crack down on the education providers uh, that, uh, you know, how much time they can spend, what they can charge, etc. So the bad news is this is all happening. The good news is it's been happening for the last four years when I uh, did some research for the live streamers. The government's been cracking down on them for uh uh, for since 2017 and the businesses could continue to grow tremendously so as it gets bigger more regulations are needed sure to keep to keep things safe but um as of that segment uh, baba had fallen 35 percent from its recent highs Pinduo Duo down 50%, Tencent down 25%, JD down 40%, and Xping down 70%. A number of these names we've talked about quite a bit uh, in the last couple of weeks, with Baba being probably our favorite. And um, as it relates to the live streaming sales market, think of it like this. It's basically QVC over the internet, smartphones, etc. And rather than just having a random uh, man or lady selling a product and taking live calls and questions and seeing the sales in real time, it's done online in the same way, you know, multi-hour sessions. But the salesperson, the virtual salesperson, is usually an influencer with a which a with a large social social media base pre-existing. Uh, they expect this business to grow at 12% compounded uh, through 2023. Who's the biggest player? Of course, it's Alibaba, our favorite Chinese stock uh, that we've been buying and adding for the last two weeks. And they've got Taobao Live. They did, uh, you know, 35 plus million gross merchandise value just in live streaming. They've got 60% of the market um, as of last year. Pinduo Duo has uh, over a million of their 5 million accounts now doing live streaming uh, merchant uh, work. JD is third, Tencent with their Kaishao and ByteDance with their Dalian. The new rules were pretty simple. They have to rank users by views and transactions. They have to maintain risk management system to stop illegal marketing tactics, the false advertising, vulgar content, misleading or exaggerated claims. And uh, when they see that happening, they have to use a pop-up, stop doing it, then they have to slow the traffic to the stream, and then they have to shut it off if they don't comply. They have to verify the host's identity, and you have to be over 16 years old now to host an event. So this is not going to have any real impact other than, uh, like all regulation, it benefits the big players. The big will become bigger because they can afford the compliance. The small will get snuffed out, and uh, and the game will go on with the big players gaining share. And that's why we like being with the biggest player, Alibaba. Um, Will they? They also Elaine also asked, "Will it cool off post-pandemic?" I think it's like Zoom. I think it's not going back. I think maybe people will spend less time on it, but more people will continue to be added to the platform as it grows. Uh, similar to Netflix, you're not going to stream as much as you did during COVID, but more people are streaming, uh, and that that uh, continues around the world. Um, 
and uh, and that that was basically the story of um, the Chinese stocks and the live streaming. So thanks to Elaine Reyes and to Stephanie Stavage for having me on. Want to thank um, Chibuke Ogu for including me in his article on the 24th. So it was either Monday or Tuesday. I think it was late Monday. And, you know, what was going on? It was the market was afraid at that point that the Fed would get behind the curve with tapering. Uh, but that's no longer the case now that commodities prices are stabilizing. We talked about that last week with lumber coming in a bit. Uh, oil has stopped going up, you know, copper, a number of these commodities have stopped going up. So now the market's breathing a sigh, a sigh of relief that uh, maybe there won't be such an urgency to taper. And particularly, as we've repeated, uh, Powell is focused on full employment for every ethnicity. He wants no long, no long-term structural unemployment and he will let the economy run as hot as needed despite the fact you have different fed members coming out every day giving conflicting messages ultimately the plan is get everyone employed let the economy run hot until everyone's employed and then we have they have the tools to moderate inflation uh, over time uh, also want to thank Chibuke for having me in his article today. Uh, this was important regarding um, continuing claims number that came out. This was the first time in uh, months that continuing claims came in better than expected. Uh, this is the number that we've been looking at. And I think what's attributable to that, if you recall, I think it was last week, 22 out of uh, the 50 states have uh, rejected the federal extended unemployment insurance for their uh, populations because businesses were having trouble hiring people. So while you still have 28 states where you're going to see slower growth, the 22 now for, you know, basically getting people back to work and enabled the continuing claims to come down and people getting off benefits, getting back to work. Uh, and that's a good thing. And it's a perfect balance because you have, you know, less than half of the, the states that will benefit and grow tremendously by being able to fill that demand. But the other 28 will uh, slow uh, growth, which means the jobs reports won't be great until after September, um, which means tapering gets pushed off to Q1, which we've talked about in recent weeks. So, uh, but that was a nice beat and uh, kudos to the states that uh, got on top of that. Also want to thank Medicine and Shashnak Nayar for including me in their um, Reuters article yesterday. And um, now we're going to go to the Ask Me Anything part of the podcast videocast. We've got a number of great questions this week, uh, so I'm going to kick it off. Hi, Tom. Thank you for putting out all of the amazing material that you do, especially in your videocasts. Everything is just phenomenal. If there's any investor on Wall Street who is more sophisticated than you, they have done a good job hiding. Love, mom. No, I'm kidding. All right. He goes on to uh, say, I have an ask me anything for you regarding something which is a complete mystery to me and I think to most others as well. One reads that Renaissance Medallion Fund had a staggering annualized return of 66% before fees over a 30-year span from 1988 to uh 2018 yeah before fees i think their fees are like three and fifty or something like that uh at the very least it's three percent management 
and 35% carry, but uh, I think it's three and 50 to be honest with you. So the returns to clients are much lower than that, probably cut it in half. But anyway, if you believe the 66% is real, uh, I do believe that the gross is real. Uh, what do you think are the likely components of their success, which might explain such an extraordinary return? Do you think there are any strategies that an individual investor can successfully adopt by understanding what they have done over time? Okay, so uh, number one, the interesting thing is their um, fund for clients, the Renaissance Institute, Institutional Equities Fund lost 22.62% through December 25th. Uh, full year, actually, they lost over 22% uh, in 2020. So when you needed them the most, they weren't there. Um, and their newer fund, the Renaissance Institutional Diversified Alpha, fell even more. It fell 33.3.5% in 2020. Those are the years that you need hedge funds. So, um, you know, what good is, you know, call it 33% net of fees if you lose half of it in, in a year or not a, not half, but a third? Uh, that's That's not tremendously helpful. That said... Uh, so what do they do? So basically, they took a bunch of non-Wall Street people. Uh, very little of what they do is fundamental. They do uh, factors. They, basically, they will measure anything. So they have a bunch of code breakers from the you know uh, government intelligence. They have a uh, it's it's what they call a quant fund. So they'll take any factor like you know a growth you know. Uh, price to book, price to earnings, you know, every factor under the sun. They'll take ISM manufacturing reports. They'll take employment reports. They'll take any statistical piece of data and try to find a correlation. And what they find, you know, I've even read that they do planetary conjunctions and when Mercury is here and the moon is there and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and if they find one little edge, Basically, all they're, they, they're trying to do is run thousands and thousands of correlations. And on balance, I think they found they were right 51% of the time. But that 51% was enough to generate those type of returns over time. So, you know, billions of dollars go into it. You know, a uh, few hundred PhDs, code breakers, crypto, um, crypt cryptographers. Um, and they're just running the data unbiased, objectively, any data set you could think of, like, you know, cars and parking lots. It could be, uh, again, planetary alignments. It could be uh, magnetic forces. It could be ISM. It could be uh, any, any and all. And the other thing that they found is even when they did get an edge for a little while, they burnt it out over two months. So they had to keep doing, and they're doing Thousands of trades per day mechanically by computers, uh, for the most part for minutes or hours, uh, it, you know, and for the most part not more than days. So they're doing um, just a mass amount of computer power, statistical analysis, uh, etc., to gain a little edge and net to clients, this can be beaten and they were limited on the size so they had to turn money away over time anyway. So uh, can an individually investor successfully adopt understanding what they've done over time? Probably not. Uh, you're not gonna have the resources to get to that. But if you just 
learn the basics of the business and, and learn a few simple fundamentals and take advantage of those periods when there are dislocations in sectors um, or in stocks and have patience, uh, you can gain a huge edge uh, over time and you can get exceptionally wealthy compounding at 20 20% a year because uh, you know your your money's going to double every three and a half years so you know one goes to two two goes to four four goes to eight you know eight eight goes to 16 million 32 million 64 million so you know it doesn't take a lot of three and a half year periods to get exceptionally wealthy uh if you manage risk and you can find an edge where you can compete now is that to say well you know they're the only people that can ever do such a quantitative strategy and have that kind of result I mean, look, we found out last year that they're they're not infallible uh, and their computer systems didn't work. And that's often the case. I mean, um, long term capital management was infallible with their option pricing model until 1998 when they blew up. So the question is, uh, Bill Huang was infallible until he blew up. What's the common denominator? The common denominator is uh, uh, and the other thing, by the way, with their edge, they're still using that eight to nine, nine times leverage through a prime broker, which an individual is not going to have access to. So that 35 net to clients, when you take out that leverage, it may only be seven to eight percent based on their quote unquote edge. Uh, now, if you want to talk about um, great returns, is is 15, 20% a year without leverage, that's a, that's an incredible manager. And uh, and that's the kind of thing that, that we're talking about here, plus, plus. Uh, we had you know, a phenomenal year last year. So I think um, the best thing you can do to understand it is read this book, which I did, uh, The Man Who Solved the Market, How Jim Simmons Launched the Quant Revolution. Uh, you can read that. That'll give you an understanding. And then, you know, with all of these things, if you're chasing the hottest strategy, you're usually in the rearview mirror, number one. And number two, you have to fit, find something that suits your personality and your skill set. So what I do is a perfect fit for me. I, I, I can never do day trading. And most humans can't beat this type of machine apparatus that uh, Renaissance ha had on a short-term basis. You're just going to lose your money. So I would say there is no way to have that edge unless you are incredibly financed, incredibly brilliant, and can attract many brilliant people, which Simmons could through his academic contacts because he had been a professor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so... Uh, the other thing you said, I see some sources indicate that Renaissance spent tens of millions of dollars over the years in political donations and lobbying. Do you think their access to earlier and better information through relationships with senior politicians, what we might call legal inside information, is the primary source of their unusual edge? No, um, because that's not how they trade. Uh, that's number one. Number two, it would not be legal for them because uh, they're not protected like Congress people, they would be getting information from Congress people and using it to profit would be insider trading would be illegal and they would be to toast. So, uh, Alan, I, I would, you know, kind of, um, I think your question is right. I think you should read the book so you can see that it's probably not sustainable. I mean, I mean, we, it, it proved out last year it wasn't sustainable for them, but it's certainly not for a startup. And there are you know, if you if you back out the leverage that's embedded in their fund, which me, what I'm trying to get across is 
you could wake up and they could be the next long-term capital management, just like Bill Huang, who's a great investor, you know, blew a $30 billion fortune overnight because he was using similar type of leverage, you know, eight to one, eight, eight to one, nine to one, whereas a retail investor can only use one to one and probably shouldn't use any in, in most cases. Um, so there are many strategies that you don't need the computing power and you don't need the um, uh, quote unquote edge with normal leverage to, to beat them on a Parry pursue leverage basis, you 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 can blow the doors off 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 of their performance. The difference is they're taking eight or nine times leverage, uh, and they've been able to do that without blowing up because they think they have a good risk risk management, just as long term capital management did. And that may well be the case, but you know very few people get to leave uh, leave not on a stretcher using that level of leverage. So so I guess my answer to you, Alan, is their returns, their, their gross returns are, are useless because it's what the client gets. So basically cut it in half. Uh, and then when you see that they're whatever it is, 30, 35% uh, is, and that excludes the, the huge drawdown where clients lost a third of their money last year. Um, but then you back out the nine to one leverage. What are they really generating? Three percent, five percent. That's that. That tells me that they don't have a real edge. They just have leverage. But you have to dramatically respect what they've done, and they've been doing it for multi decades. So they obviously have avoided blowing up, which means they either haven't. Their their greatest edge is probably using that amount of leverage with. A risk management system that so far has not failed them with the exception of last year I, I would call that a failure last year but they've got a lot of goodwill built up over multi-decades in which case uh, they live another day and uh, and we'll see if they can continue with that type of leverage uh, or if they learn from it and they, and maybe they back down the leverage and you know they've made enough money and they you know they uh, generate what they're uh, strategy can do on a cash basis, which is significantly lower uh, than uh, what you're seeing in the gross numbers. So I guess the summary of what I'm saying is it's not as it seems, but it's still unbelievable what they've been able to do to date. Uh, P.S. You're a gem of a person to share so much with all of us. Um, again, love mom. Now <laughs> that was from Alan. Uh, all right. Now, uh, next question is from Dan, B by the way, great question, Alan. And thanks for the kind words. Uh, it's nice to get feedback because, uh, certainly this is, um, a, a decent sized undertaking every week and I enjoy doing it and I'm glad uh, people enjoy, um, uh, uh, listening to it and watching it. Okay. Next was from Daniel E. I think this was a comment on the YouTube video. Hi, Tom. I'm a new follower. I have a couple of questions. By the way, if you send an email for Ask Me Anything and you don't want your name used, um, you know, just specify that. So if, you, if I get your full name and you don't specify that you don't want your full name used, uh, I'll, I'll mention it because some people, you know, like, you know, we got a lot of great people who listen to this, by the way. Uh, so some people do want their name, but if you don't, then uh, just let me know and we'll do some type of abbreviation. But this one comes from Daniel E. New follower, couple questions for the Ask Me Anything part of the podcast. I noted you liked healthcare, but a related sector, biotech, recently had 
a significant correction? Do you see an opportunity in that sector? Uh, we, we spent a lot of time on that last week, uh, so you can go back to that. I know the video was, again, an hour and 20 minutes, but you can fast forward till you see pictures of charts. Um, yeah, we like a number of the biotechs here, uh, Vertex, uh, you can see here, um, we like that. We like Biomarin, Gilead, Biogen, you know, really just the big names that, that have, uh, have been hit. So no big changes there. Um, we still like Big Pharma here. They're taking a rest. Oh, here's the Biogen. So Pfizer backed off a little bit. We think that'll rest for a couple weeks and then take another lead higher. Novartis, we've went over. Uh, Gilead again for the long term. These are all great opportunities. Short term, they might might face some headwinds. Uh, okay, your next question is: Gold miners seem to be breaking out along with the price of gold. What are your thoughts on precious metals? Uh, I'm not a gold bug, and here's why. The simple math, I mean, people spend so much time thinking about the price of gold or the price of Bitcoin. Well, let's just keep it to the question. The price of gold. And here are the facts. Warren Buffett put in his annual letter, uh, I think about four years ago. He said, if you had invested $10,000 in gold or $10,000 in the S&P 500 index uh, since 1948, you would have 52 more million dollars uh, from the stock market investment than you would have from gold. So gold will will preserve your purchasing power and erode your wealth. What does that mean? It means in if in 1948 the cost of a suit was a good suit was $25, and in 2020 the cost of a good suit is a thousand or two thousand uh, dollars by Investing in gold in 1948, you could still afford the same quality suit in 2020, whereas if you had kept it in cash, uh, you'd be wearing a t-shirt to the prom. So that, that wouldn't be helpful. Um, but you would have lost, you know, that same $10,000 investment, you would have made $50 million more dollars. I think it was like $52 million to $500,000. So the $10,000 became like $500,000 over 70 years, and the uh, $10,000 became like 50-something million over the same period compounded. Um, you're, I can see you're asking the question from an inflation standpoint. Through all periods, inflationary, deflationary, stagflationary, stocks are going to be your better bet. Now, if you're going to trade for the next five minutes, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe gold will break out and keep going higher. It looks like it, inflation, yada, yada, yada. But um, the other thing is gold miners just seem to have an uncanny knack to lose money even when conditions are good. So, I, you know, if you like gold, just buy gold. Um, but your money is better spent if you can look out three to five years plus just buy an S&P index fund. You're going to do much better regardless of the environment and whether you think you can predict inflation or not predict inflation. That's that's my best advice there. If you have to have it because you want it a couple percent, one, two percent max, in my view, um, you know, I, I, if if copper hadn't had such a big run already, I'd say I'd be more inclined to own copper if I really had to have a, a metal. Um, so the answer to your question, uh, Daniel, is, uh, you know, I'm agnostic. It probably goes a little higher uh, if you want to play it. You're probably better off just owning the commodity or GLD because, you know, you can see in this here 
when gold goes down 50%, gold miners go down, you know, 80 to 90% invariably. Um, and then when gold goes up, you know, it, it goes down more when the miners go down a lot more when it goes down and they don't go up a lot more when it goes up. So it's asymmetry to the downside and it, it's not my cup of tea. Uh, real estate is also a real asset along with commodities that are going through the roof. Do you like real estate sector in the setting of elevated inflation expectations? Yes, I do, but it's already run. So, I mean, uh, that's something we were pounding the table on last year. We own it. We'll always have a piece of it in the portfolio. But again, I mean, you know, it's up huge already. So, um, you know, you need a pretty big pullback to get me interested to put more new money to work. But yes, we have some exposure. We like it long term. And by the way, over, if you look over the last four, 40 years, REITs have actually outperformed the S&P. Uh, so uh, it's always good to have a bit of that. But again, it's, it's up a lot here. Uh, wait for a pullback if you really, really want to get exposure. But if you're, if you're looking for an inflation hedge, just own stocks and don't worry about predicting inflation. Because over the long term, it's, it's not even comparable, the difference in wealth that you can create. Um, additionally, is the private access membership service on your site oriented to option traders only or also stock traders and or investors? Uh, you know, it's shorter term trades because that's what, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't really have a middle product. So based on how I'm set up, for money management, I run a long short equity strategy for accredited investors and qualified institutions. My minimum is $5 million. So most people can't get into that. And then, um, you know, for people in the middle that have a couple million bucks, they'll usually listen to the video cast podcast and some of them will join the trade service. Um, but usually with the smaller accounts, um, they want more instant gratification so we do shorter term trades you know uh, uh you know few weeks to a couple of months and you can trade those uh sector rotation stock rotation you if you don't like options we do a lot of in the money put spreads and call spreads uh you can just buy the underlying stock and uh sell the underlying stock or you could try it for a month and see if you like it and then eat or three weeks rather and if you like it continue and if you don't don't um and and that's that but um good question and last but not least i wanted to share this link to an article that goes along with one of your main investment themes uh this is the article from s p global market intelligence and this was a great article daniel thanks for sharing it uh china tech stocks may recover as most regulatory risk priced in analysts say i mean this hits the nail on the head of exactly what we've been discussing it's known known that uh you know government's cracking down everyone's like don't touch the you know i was on with a guest and, uh, on Fox and he's like, oh, you got to be careful with those Chinese stocks. You know, the government is cracking down. This is after the stocks are down 30 to 70%. You know, no kidding. So um, that's the opportunity is when you're buying when everyone else is selling and the bad news is, is largely priced in, which we believe it is. And this article uh, hit the nail on the head. So Daniel, that was a great one. Thanks for your question. Moving along. Uh, John asks, John Weller, thanks again and curious if you have an opinion on the ARC funds as I see them as a proxy for tech. Um, you know, it's interesting based on what we've talked about with 
um, certain parts of tech being a being a buy in the last couple of weeks. Um, the ARC funds have been, you know, taken out to the woodshed and shot. I think she was down peak to trough about 40% from her February highs. Um, the thing that I don't love about the ARC funds is that, um, you know, his start, with the exception of 2010 to 2020, buying stocks at 10 times sales uh, is has been a guaranteed way to lose all your money. Um, it partially outperformed in the 10 years from 2010 to 2020 because of interest rates, because, uh, you know, long dated earnings are more valuable when money costs nothing. So I guess in some sense, it's a form of malinvestment. When, when, when capital is mispriced, money is misallocated. Um, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And, um, so my guess is if you pulled her portfolio apart, and I guess you could probably Google and find this out in a minute. I didn't do it. But uh, my guess is the her portfolio is probably 15 to 20 times sales. I think that there's a higher likelihood of rates rising over the next five years than falling. And a portfolio that is trading at an average of 10 times sales, um, while it may have been useful from 2010 to 2020. I think it'll be less useful from 2020 to 2030. That said, I do like a number of the names that in her portfolio that have gotten monkey hammered, uh, Panama reference, uh, but I don't want to own all of them. So I don't want to be, I don't want gross exposure to 15X. I, I, I can take my medicine on a few selective names trading at ridiculous multiples that are down 50, 60%. Uh, and I can just stomach it on the promise of future growth. And I think that those are going to bounce. The ARC fund probably will bounce, but I don't want to own everything she owns. I want to be very, very selective when I'm playing that high risk, high wire act of betting on future earnings and trading at multiples of sales. I, I can't. Like, you know, we put 20% in Wells Fargo, biggest percentage ever in the portfolio in one name, but we could sleep well at night because we knew what we owned. It was easy. Uh, you know, it was trading at a huge discount to book. It done that. It did that two other times in its, its uh, history. Uh, and that's easy. But these stocks, you know, if a stock that's 20 times sales misses estimates, you know, one or two quarters in a row, the thing goes down 70, 80% and it's game over. So I don't mind buying those stocks after they're down 70, 80%. Uh, that's kind of interesting, but you still may have to wait and they still may go down another 50% before they start to recover. Uh, but I, I don't want to own a huge basket of that and be exposed in that way. So the answer to your question is some components, yes, the instrument itself, uh, not not for me. Uh, but it could very well work. I wouldn't bet against her, uh, that, that I would say for sure, but I, I don't want to have that factor, uh, full exposure to that factor in my book. I'd rather pick some of the key names um, that, uh, that have those outlooks and be able to participate when growth gets its bounce. Um, it's underperforming by 11%, the growth versus value this year. 
but uh, I do think we're due for a seasonal bounce in selected sections of tech, which we've covered in recent weeks. So great question, John. And lastly, Zoo Rush writes, uh, I love your podcast, YouTube videos. I wanted to ask you what you think of Geo and CXW. Michael Burry has a large long on it. Um, okay, so uh, Michael Burry's a smart guy, contrarian, got the housing crash right, uh, got GameStop right. He sold too early, but you know he still made a, a huge bit. But you know he's also had uh, Men's Warehouse and um, Jose Bank, and those went to zero. So uh, I'm I'm interested in these, but you know how I would manage my risk with both of these. Number one is you buy both. Number two, it's got to be a really small portion of your portfolio. Uh, if they work, they'll probably be 5x over the next couple of few years. If they don't, they go to zero. But why are they down? Because of the change of administration. So they both do um, basically uh, private management of prisons. And the Biden administration in January signed an executive order eliminating the federal use of privately operated criminal detention facilities. Specifically, the order uh, instructs the Department of Justice not to renew any contracts with privately owned prison. The Department of Justice has two agencies that contract with CoreCivic and the Bureau of Prisons and the U.S. Marshals Service. Uh, Bureau of Prisons accounted for about 2% of the company's sales in 2020. And just renew, and luckily it just renewed uh, the core civic contract through November 2022. Eight contracts with the U.S. Marshal Service, six which expire over the next several years. Unfortunately, the U.S. Marshal Service represents 21% of total sales. So look, these stock, this stock, core civic, for instance, is down, uh, you know, 75, 80%. Uh, on the expectations that revenue is going to decline 20%. So you could say it's overshot to the downside, but you have to be sure that that 80% is good. Also, they have balance sheet risk. Um, I, you know, look, it's probably not as bad as advertised. I think this type of thing is a good punt. Would I ever put, you know, make it a 3% or 5% position in a portfolio? I doubt it. I, you know, max maybe 3%, one and a half a core civic, one and a half a geo. Um, but I do think that th they're pricing in a lot more bad news than, uh, will be the case. Um, and you know, in the case of geo, the, those, uh, government contracts represent 12 to 13% of total revenues. Um, so again, you know, core civic is down, you know, 70% or so, and they're going to lose, 12 to 13 percent worst case scenario. So, you know, my, and the other thing is the government may figure out that that they're incapable of doing it on their own after a few years of fumbling. So, um, you know, I like it as a punt. I think it's a clever thing, but, you know, you're going to manage the risk. You know, if you think you're going to buy it at uh, $8 and put a $7 stop loss, that's just dumb. I mean, it's not dumb, but I mean, it's a useless way to think about it. It's like, you know, risk one and a half percent of your equity if you like the ideas and you've done enough research to make you content. And maybe that one and a half percent over the next three years grows to, uh, you know, seven or eight uh, percent because there's there's too much bad news and, and goes back to recover. And I think that's a reasonable way to think about it. 
Again, uh, disclaimer, disclaimer, everything is opinion, not advice. Go to hedgefundtips.com, click on terms, and, um, and that's that. I don't know your situation. Talk with your financial advisor. But I think this is a great question. I think, I think the way you manage it is with your sizing, and uh, hope, hope you find that helpful. So great questions on the AMA this week. Now, moving right along, we have... Um, couple of things. Uh, I thought this was useful. Ryan Dietrich uh, over at LPL put this out. When the Today was the 100th trading day of the year when the S&P is up 10% year to date on day 100. The rest of the year historically does very well. Higher 84% of the time and up another 8.6% on average, both well above what the average year does. So this is the data going back to 1950. Uh, that's really positive. You know, we've been counting on a mid- uh, teens year since the beginning of the year. So this would be a little bit better than our expectations and we're well open-minded to getting that outcome. So uh, stay tuned, but that's that's the uh, quantitative data right there. Um, and then Sharaub uh, follows me. Um, he's a young guy, very bright. Um, and... Um, so that's his profile, and he sent along this article um, for the um, from Macro Charts. This is one of the ones that we post. By the way, if anyone's hiring for hedge funds right now, um, I think he's uh, very promising. He's taking his uh, CFA level one, young guy, uh, very interested, pays attention, that type of thing. So. Um, uh, he's going to do very well regardless of uh, what direction he goes in. All right, moving along. So this is the tweet from Macro Charts. Uh, lesson from 2020, a look at major themes and ideas. So, oh, wait a second. This is it. Okay, so here we go. This is related to what we've been saying about tech being due for a bounce. Uh, the May 13th article we put out with 10 indicators. And he said... One third of NASDAQ stocks have triggered buy signals the most since March of 2020, which was the low, if you remember from our Market Watch article. Most spikes of this magnitude led to bottoms or big rally extensions. A textbook bull market response after sentiment capitulation, which has certainly been the case on uh, tech, follow the trend. And it just shows this is the strongest percent of stocks with moving average convergence divergence buy signals, which is just a technical indicator. You can see how that worked here and here and here and here and here. So uh, so th this is projected to be an extension. I, I think that's going to prove to be accurate. It's just one more way to look at what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Uh, Splunk, um, I put this article out today in the 10 key reads. Four red hot IT giants may have huge upside potential. Um, Bank of America put out this note, and here's what they had to say about Splunk, which is one of our favorite SaaS stocks we've been buying down at these levels. Uh, it started to bounce the last few days. Uh, provides software platform for collecting, storing, indexing, searching, and analyzing machine-generated data. Um, Splunk is potentially applicable and disruptive in several, several market segments, IT operations, security and compliance, and business intelligence. These segments are collectively worth $28 billion today. Wall Street analysts agree the company offers the de facto standard for security information and even manage, event management. This is an area heavily focused on the, on 
in the Biden executive order, Spunk also offers orchestration solutions for security operations of fast emerging category products. The research report noted this, quote, partners suggest healthy new activity upsells in the first quarter with the cloud driving customer conversations and good initial observability feedback. We expect first quarter cloud annual recurring revenue and total ARR upside to 85% year on year and 39% versus R and the consensus 82 and 37%. Uh, reaffirm buy top pick our price objective with shares trading at 6.3 times 2022 revenue. Uh, believe the risk reward is attractive. Uh, BOA put a has a $180 price target and um, which is lower than the uh, 189.69 consensus target. Uh, so there's a lot of upside there. This is one of those high multiple stocks that we're willing to take the gamble on because it got uh, monkey hammered. I, I guess we should do a drinking game. Every time I say drunk, uh, monkey hammered uh, this week, uh, you can say that until I leave Panama on Saturday. Uh, okay. Moving along, uh, this is just an article from Barron's today. Elect elective surgeries are back, Medtronic says. It's another sign of the U.S. COVID recovery. Uh, we like Beckton Dickinson for play on that, but it's just in line with our Novartis thesis, and the game is going to be back. Uh, Airbus increases A320 jet production as aerospace giant signals recovery. It's a duopoly, and that's going to confirm the numbers that we talked about, the 41 versus 31, which means Boeing's going to have to take up their numbers huge, and the stock is still undervalued, and we've been talking about that for a few weeks. Uh, Pin Duo Duo is a bet on Chinese continued growth. This came out today as well. Um, yeah, you know, this is just in that whole basket of, you know, Baba... Baidu, you know, that, that got hit. We went over the reasons why they got hit. Um, and they acknowledge, okay, so Pin Duo Duo's name is a play on the Chinese characters for Together and more in the company's marketing materials. Da, 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 da. Okay, da, 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 da. where was that note that was? Okay, uses technology. Da, da. Okay. In U.S. and Europe, investors are comfortable enough with government intervention in financial markets that many now believe central banks protect the stock market against declines, yet this comfort with government intervention disintegrates in China. International investors generally don't understand or trust China's leadership, despite China's profound economic success. Uh, Chinese e-commerce company experiencing extraordinary growth. Used so the point is they're acknowledging... Um, What's been going on, you know, in April, uh, Chinese regulators gave 34 internet companies a month to correct their anti-competitive practices or else face punishment. The move startled investors and introduced another hard-to-quantify investment risk. Um, but, you know, this is, this is known. It's now priced in. They are complying with the government regulations, and these big platforms are going to just soar. So, uh, again, our favorite is is Baba, of course, but I think there's, you know, you could buy a basket of them, and we'll take a look at that. As a matter of fact, uh, where are, okay, so yeah, here are the Chinese stocks, by the way, just to give you an idea of what's starting to happen. We talked about, we put out that article two weeks ago. You can see this red bar on IQ. It's starting to recover. Uh, Lee, we talked about 
it's just completely inflecting here. Uh, Neo, we don't have any, but that's inflecting. XPEV, right here, another uh, Chinese car EV maker, inflected to the week. This is weekly charts. Um, Baba, okay, so it's been sideways, but it, but it closed on a green bar. Well, it didn't close next week. Is tomorrow's the close? But you're seeing it's it's starting to turn here. Um, Weibo, we don't have any. Same thing. Um, but you can see these things are starting to Baidu a little bit, starting to uh, turn from red candles to green, and um, they've, they've priced in a lot of that bad news that's known. That's the key thing. It's already known. There's no edge saying the Chinese government is cracking down. They've been cracking down for five plus. They've been cracking down for decades, but in particular the last five years, and uh, it's incremental and. At the margins, it benefits the larger players to wind up getting more share anyway. Uh, so we covered Splunk and Baba. We covered this. Article of the week, we chose uh, market Mast Wolf's Astronaut in the Ocean. Uh, that best describes the current market moving of uh, floating action and little progress. And that's also been the case with Chinese and um, NASDAQ stocks for the whole year. They're only up... Um, 6% for the QQQ and 3% for the A share, China A share for the year. Um, so they've been floating around and underperforming the general indices over S&P over 11%. But we put this article out on the 13th. You can click here, May 13th, and both have just inflected and started to move up. So the QQQ and the A shares, we've covered that. We also, in that article, put out 10 indicators of why we thought the NASDAQ was going to inflect here um, and, to, and tech. And three of them are still showing that it uh, looks like we're much closer to the bottom than the top, despite that bounce. And you can look back at history. A couple times, one time it didn't work for this first indicator. That's on balance volume up down indicator. You can Google that. Uh, the intermediate term uh, volume momentum oscillator that failed three times, but it worked more often than it didn't. Again, looks closer to the bottom than the top. And then the uh, McClellan, NASDAQ McClellan, looks like it's turning here. So, uh, so that's just helpful. We covered the, um, the the media spots, and then Mark Hulbert, who writes for the um, Market Watch, uh, put out this stat today that or this week that. Um, the statistics support a summer rally for the general indices at since 1896 the dow jones at some point in june july or august has been 7.34 percent higher on average than where it stood at the end of the of may so while may to october is the weakest six months uh, you usually do get a summer rally before a fall uh, correction or a fall pullback so right now we're, we're coming off those uh kind of lower periods where tech had retrenched and we had a little bit of consolidation. Maybe we'll get that summer rally June or July and then you can lighten up again. But uh, statistics support that we could you know, see a follow through in this bounce that I've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And that's the data that supports it. Uh, the All the sentiment, look, this week is much ado about nothing. I think people's minds are on getting away for the first time in a year. It's just been a back and forth growth value, you know, market basically doing nothing. Uh, was a good week to be away. Uh, although, you know, everything's remote now. You can get stuff done wherever you are. And uh, so sentiment didn't change much. There's still fear on the fear and greed index at 35. 
Um, and but what's good is the National Association of Active Investment Managers are still underweight, so they're going to have to chase hard on this balance as it follows through. We continue to pick our spots, look for the rally under the surface. We've spent the last couple of weeks building up the China positions, the SaaS and tech. We covered two key names, Baba and Splunk, we like, and SPAC warrants on busted SPACs. Uh, that have announced deals and rolled over, but have interesting businesses and uh, sponsors for the long term. You can go through a bunch of SPACs here. Uh, we continue to buy where we see dislocation. Uh, we covered that on the video sections, and we believe the big money will be made under, under the surface for the rest of the year. So even if you do get Ryan Diestrich's stats and you get another 6 or 7% versus 3 or 4% in the general indices, uh, we think the disproportionate money is going to be made, you know, in pockets of tech, pockets of um, China stocks. And we still own for the long term um, banks, energy, defense stocks. They've had huge runs. They're probably going to breathe for a while. Uh, and then the um, utility staples and big pharma, we think, have rested for the last month, can probably start to climb higher again in the summer, which would make sense with tech would support rates stabilizing or actually going even a little lower, which uh, is the anti against the consensus, which is why what makes it probable because people aren't positioned for it. So uh, so while the indices may float around like an astronaut in the ocean, we continue to scoop up bargains and then patiently wait to push the equity curve to new highs. And that's the name of the game. Market's a device for transferring wealth from the impatient to the patient. Uh, this was interesting, this open door technologies. This was, quote unquote, a busted SPAC <laughs> that I think shot up to like $30, $35 on the announcement, then rolled over at uh you know, 13 or $14. And uh, this guy's been buying a ton of stock. I think he's bought one of these directors, Puo Keffers, bought $2 million of stock out of his own pocket in the last few weeks, couple of weeks in this mid, mid to low teens area. They also have long dated uh, SPAC warrants. Uh, so you can get a five year play on that. Uh, you know, it's just an example of many of these companies that shot up and have rolled over and now you're seeing insider buying, you're seeing it start to settle and uh, some of these can reverse and you can get huge uh, le leverage and quantify your risk with some of these warrants that people have forgotten about. Uh, economic data for the week. Um, the biggest, okay, so uh, let's just see here, hit some of the highlights and get you out of here. Home sales were a little weak. Um, that old change now that lumber is coming in and you'll see some supply come online. So give that a couple of months. Crude inventory is better than expected. If you're a bull, that draw was 1.6 million. We covered that um, many months ago. We said this would be happening June of last year. Uh, but now the risk that people aren't paying enough attention to is a deal gets done with Iran and it takes out the late money with a 10 to 20 percent correction before resuming its higher uptrend because OPEC will keep control over the supply. Uh, they learned their lesson um, last year. Uh, continuing claims. This was the big number. We covered a lot of that earlier in the call, but this was the first week in many couple several months that they beat expectations we went through that why with the 22 states now um, getting rid of the extended unemployment 28 still having it uh, core PCA price is a little higher than expected this is part of the transitory part some will be permanent wages are sticky some of these pricing things related to commodities will be uh, somewhat more transient transient but but trend up over time 
And then uh, durable goods orders were beat. Initial jobless claims better than expected at 406. And pending home sales were down month on month. So keep an eye on that. Although Toll Brothers had really good numbers at the high end uh, for new home sales. And that's it for this week. Uh, just looking at the expected earnings growth for 21 and 22. The top three uh, uh, the sectors that will have higher earnings growth in the S&P 500 this year, financials, materials, consumer discretionary industrials, and energy, which we was our thesis last year and has proven out this year. Next year, energy is also going to be in the top five, followed by discretionary materials, uh, communication services, and – oh, they don't have the uh, uh, S&P – oh, S yeah, S&P will be 11 and 8, so communications.